Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey friends, my name is Andre and this is the Tennis and Bagels podcast, a podcast about essentially anything tennis from recreational to pro. And as I said, I am Andre and Vansh, my co-host. How, is, how are you doing, Vansh? Hey, Andre. Nice to be back here on this Thursday afternoon. Sweet. Thursday afternoon is as we record. The matches of the semifinals of the women's in the US Open is just about to start. And we have a guest to um, not talk about the, the predictions of the semifinals because by the time that this comes out, uh, it will be irrelevant and useless. So uh, we're going to talk about a different matter. But first, let's welcome uh, a, a known guest, like a, a familiar voice, um, not to say face because he's not, not on video anymore. But hi, Owen. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Andre. Uh... How are you as well, Vaughn? It's great to be back. Um, I appreciate it, and I'm excited to talk about what's been a crazy and pretty exciting U.S. Open. Yeah, it's definitely been crazy, and this is the probably the craziest point of it that we're going to be talking about. Um, it's the how, well, Novak Djokovic was supposed to be the favorite to win, and then he messed up real bad, and he got defaulted. He hit a ball into a lines person and in fact um before we get into like the intricacies a little bit and discussing about how does that really affect the u.s open men's draw Vansh, how can how about you explain to us a bit like how did that happen sure andre i mean yeah i mean we were all taken aback uh, by this incident but i think it's uh, worth mentioning that it didn't just come out of absolutely nowhere there was a sequence of events that led to this unfortunate incidents involving Novak Djokovic. And that would be actually, so he's playing his fourth round match um, in the mid-Sunday of the U.S. Open against Pablo Carreño Busta. He's cruising through the match on, on his serve and holding rel- relatively very easy. Carreño Busta is serving to stay in the set. It's 4-5, love 40. So he has three, Novak Djokovic has three set points to take the first set, first set. And you're thinking he's absolutely going to win this set and the match. And um, at that moment, at love 40, Karenia Busta comes up with a down-the-line forehand winner that hits the back uh, of the baseline, which Novak challenged. It was an incredibly precise shot, but in some ways lucky. And he saves the next two match points, one with a brilliant drop shot, uh, set points rather, one with a brilliant drop, drop shot, and one with a winner of his own. And at this point, Djokovic is a little bit furious and can't quite control him can't quite control his emotions at this point and he slams his he slams the ball into the sidelines directly opposite of the chair where the chair umpire sits right below a deck of cameramen and at this point in the commentary James Blake says says uh, he needs to be careful here because that could have hit a cameraman and uh, and little do we know um, hindsight 2020 right um okay. The next, so Krena Busta holds that service game, and we go to the next game. And at this point, Djokovic actually slips down at five all, 30 love. And we see him grimace a little bit, and he's in pain with his left shoulder. And right at that moment, he takes a medical timeout emergency, and Karina Busta is left there waiting. And there's a long delay of about 10 minutes to get Djokovic's shoulder treated. So he's in a little bit of pain um, in that regard. And eventually, when play resumes, uh, we see the shoulder a little bit bother Novak, and we see him bail out, hitting a couple of backhand drop shots, which is a telltale sign that, you know, something could be wrong with the shoulder. And, you know, hopefully Djokovic is fit enough to and healthy enough to continue this match. And then we get to the point where it's break point, and he hits a drop shot, and Karina Busta's uh, very aware at this point, and he sprints it down and hits a cross court winner. 
And at this point, Novak Djokovic actually breaks his habit and takes the ball off of his takes the ball out of his left pocket. And as he's walking to the to his chair on the changeover, visibly quite angry, he flicks a ball in anger and doesn't watch where he's going because you can clearly see he's not looking at where he's hitting this ball. And he's facing directly in front of himself, but he flicks the ball hard. Um, I guess it wasn't a, it wasn't a very hard shot, but still quite direct. And it hits this lineswoman in the throat, and suddenly, and Djokovic realizes it immediately, and he knows that he's he's made a serious mistake here. And everyone calling the match knows that this is a default at this point. So he rushes over, and he's very he's very genuine and honest about it. And he can and he makes sure that the lines person is okay. She's treated to medical attention, and she's taken out of the rotation at this point. So now there's this whole debate about now there's this whole debate on the court with the supervisor and the ATP and the US Open all out there to see, you know, um what's going on. But I think the decision was probably made very clear right from the beginning that it isn't it is a default. And at this point it we're left with a very un, unfortunate series of events and you know, this is how he was taken out of the tournament. So Owen, oh, I'm curious uh, your reactions on this. Yeah, if, if I could just add a couple of things really quickly. Um, I think it's important to mention that Carreño Busa was actually playing a fantastic match up until this happened. He did right. very well to hold on to his serve, wasn't having much luck against the Djokovic serve, but at the time of the Djokovic fall, it was actually love 15 on Djokovic's serve. And right. when he lost the point, when he fell, that made it love 30. So mm-hmm. Carreño Busa was in a pretty good position to win the set, even before Djokovic um, hurt his shoulder. And That's right. So um, I think it's just important to mention that Carreño Busa worked wonders to keep himself in that set. That forehand down the line at 4-5, love 40, caught the very, very back of the line. Yeah. And But really, like just like you said, Vaj, it was a pretty crazy series of events that even made this possible. Uh, the set looks to be over by all rights at 5-4. And just the main thing I'm thinking about is what, what a cost this is for Djokovic because he was, he was the heavy favorite for this event and he didn't, he didn't lose really. He beat himself. Um, Mm. I I think it was the right call that was made. Um, The only choice the umpire had was to default him or give him a warning. Djokovic was arguing at one point for maybe a game penalty, but I read that the only options were a default and a warning. And, um, the lines woman took a pretty direct hit to the throat. And though, like you said, the ball wasn't hit too hard. This is not a club player who's hitting the ball carelessly and lightly. This is Novak Djokovic, a man who surfs consistently at 120 miles an hour. So his careless flick is much, much harder than the average person's careless flick. So I think it was probably a pretty painful impact. Thankfully the lines woman Mm -hmm. is okay. We've read. But yeah, yeah. yeah, and um, I've also um, read a couple like interesting points as well. I don't remember if it was on Facebook or whatever, but it's just um, you you take those balls. They normally don't hurt too much. Like when you get a serve, even if you get a serve, um, it doesn't. It's not like it's that painful. Uh, you see lines of people taking those balls like all the time, and some people are arguing that uh, she was kind of like acting and whatever. But like some someone raised a really good point at some point. Was saying, um, well, if you're not looking if you're not paying attention and you you get a you get this ball like shot like no matter how well if it was like too weak not but he he was like close to the net and the lines person stands like way far back so he was strong enough that he travel all the way into essentially her face area like face and neck area and if you're not really paying attention you're not ready at all for this like you take a ball to the throat even if it doesn't hurt you it can scare you a lot and i feel like this is like one of the reasons why i I am pretty convinced, obviously, there's absolutely zero point that she would be um, acting out, like, a ways to, like, for him to, like, get defaulted as, like, way too over the top and ridiculous, like, worse than the conspiracy theory that the man has never been to the moon. That's, like, this weird theory. So, um, it's, but at the same time, it's just, it, it may not have hurt that much, but it, it was bad enough that, like, she, and all the circumstances, like, I believe, uh, led into that moment. And, like, it, it wasn't, she wasn't acting out. It was really a bad situation to be in like from her perspective i think and i think anyone yeah. who says that she's being that she was just acting and she should be given an oscar or something like that is just clearly blinded by the situation because um it must it's like you said it's extremely painful to be hit in the throat and just very startling i mean if you're not ready for if you're not ready for it and if you're not anticipating it i mean it can be such a jolt to your yeah. to your system and it's just 
it's 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 an absolute conspiracy theory and you know it's one of those that Novak Djokovic fans you know really like to like to throw at everyone and it's yeah. it's unfortunately very uh, it it's almost bullying in a way a lineswoman who you know i mean yeah it, i don't think it's getting paid that much to getting to work at, at the US they're, Open. they're not and, getting paid much at all like yeah. i can tell you that like i've done some uh, um art like umpiring classes and you have to start off from the beginning and the beginning is pretty much aligns people um although some of them like stay like people for life because they're really good um it, it's not really a paying job like those people most likely if not like 99 of those have actual like other jobs and they just come out to the us open and maybe come off to like north america uh, to canada to um be alliance people in montreal and right. toronto exactly but it's it they don't get paid at all for that like for acting like that you know it's it's just kind of like a ridiculous situation and um speaking of the you, you said like um bullying and i am appreciate like to to Djokovic's credit even though he missed the the press conference uh afterwards yeah which he should have been to um it was a bad move from him uh yeah. he did uh come out on instagram and and did a albeit generalized uh apology he did um come on come out on twitter i think i was on twitter or i was on instagram as well i don't know mm. um saying that um I mean, urging his fans to stop that. Cause yeah, that was commendable it, by him. Yeah, because yeah, absolutely. Um, the yeah. apology, I also thought as far as sports apologies go, that was an extremely sincere apology from him. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, really one that, you know, I don't think he could have written any better. And it was that was that was nice to see from him. Now, you know, several people in the media and the press were quite critical of him, you know, not coming to the press conference. But I can't imagine the situation, you know, that he's that he's just gone and to come out of that, to come out of that situation and then face the media and have it have the same question be asked in 15 different ways, essentially. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I think he said enough in his apology letter, but mm-hmm. no, definitely um, on his part, it was definitely a, a move that we've, we've seen from him before. And it's not one that reflects very well on him, given his position, given that he is the world number one and he has 17 slams and also the president of the ATP council and starting a, the PTPA. So I think hmm. I, I think from his part I, I I perfectly, you know you know I'm I'm not in Novak's shoes I don't know, you know I, the the kind of criticism and hate that he receives coming from this macho culture like Peter Bodo was mentioning in in Serbia, but uh, mm-hmm. you know so that that being said and the gravity of the situation I think the best move for him would have been to take two or three hours and really cool off and make sure that you know when he does step in when he does address the media face to face that he does it in a cool and collected manner and says the sincere and shows the sincereness that he would have shown in this apology letter. You know, it's like if you're trying to break up with your girlfriend, you're going to do it in person, right? You're not going to, you know, maybe send her an email or something. Oh so it's boy, just, to break up someone by email, that would be like, <laughs> it, I think that's only less bad than emojis. <laughs> <laughs> the red X maybe. Um, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think you made some great points. I think Djokovic had put out a very good apology. I'd just like to say really quickly, I've been kind of surprised and disappointed at kind of the reception the lines woman has gotten. As uh, you two said, she's not getting paid much. It's almost a yeah. volunteer position. And she did nothing wrong. In addition to the impact being probably painful and shocking, um, I don't think anyone is capable of processing and carrying out a plan to overreact and get Djokovic defaulted in the, what, two seconds it took for her to get hit and then fall down. I mean, it just sounds like a complete conspiracy theory to me. Yeah, and um, if, if anything, I mean, they took a really long time. I mean, most of the experts know, they know right away that's that's a default, but they, yeah. the US Open being the US Open, and you know how much, you know, how big of a personality and star Djokovic is at this US Open when there's no... None, none yeah, of the it brings they would them have no tried, advantages, yeah. They would have tried their absolute absolute 120 percent to make sure that he would that he you know he can stay in the tournament i'm sure yeah um something i saw on twitter i think greg rusetsky said um this will be a tough decision because Djokovic is such a star and uh, on the one hand i see where he's coming from this u.s open on the men's side all uh women's side as well but already pretty low on star power federer and nadal aren't playing stan bavrinka and juan martin del potro aren't playing but rules are actually rules then that should not matter at all like rules need to apply equally to everyone um 
what Djokovic did, I think warranted a default and he was defaulted. So I think yeah. in terms of was the dis- correct decision made, I think that debate can end there personally. Yeah. I, personally, I don't think, uh, I think some of the best people that, you know, some of the best responses I've seen on Twitter, they're not asking whether it's, uh, whether it was the, the decision was the right one or not. I think what you can debate is what, you know, whether or not there should be some, something in the rule, rule. based yeah. on mm-hmm. intent, you know, maybe because we clearly know his intent was not to injure the lines person. Now his, his intent, now the UST obviously released a statement, you know, saying that, you know, it's negligent, it's negligent behavior, mm-hmm. which we can all yeah. agree it was. But, you know, as absolutely his intention was not to injure anyone, his intention was just to get his mm-hmm. anger out of his system, essentially. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. he wasn't and, and plus, uh, you're, you're angry. You're in a slam where you're the biggest favorite, like none of your biggest rivals are there. Like the only other person that actually has kind of, well, it's safe of Rinka and, yeah. and Chilich and Murray. Wawrinka wasn't even there. Chilich wasn't playing his best, lost a team in four. And Murray, obviously, we know he's just coming from injury, so uh, from a big surgery. So it's it's not like he had any big big threats. Like you could say, like mm-hmm. potentially either Medvedev or Team, who were both on the other side of the draw. Mm-hmm. So it was everything yeah, no, was kind of like true. lining up. It, it's it's just understandable he'd be angry. If there is something that has that would need to change, it would be like a, a revision of how the rules go. But if as if the rules are what they are right now, and I, to be perfectly honest, I kind of agree with that. Like regardless yeah. of intent, um, if the rules are that, like the rules are to be followed, and it, it hurts the um, the rates. Yes, it does. It, it hurts the the amount of money that they're making, most likely. But at the same time, it's a, uh, it's 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 the rules. Like you can't just bend them just because uh, it's it would be it would be you feel really unfair for the other players. And uh, since we're speaking about, like, stardom and things like that, like, um, going on from that point, like, the tournament doesn't stop, obviously. Mm-hmm. We know that. And uh, we have two big semifinals coming up. Uh, Alexander Zverev is in his, uh, whatever, I think, second semifinal of Grand Slam. Yeah. yeah. And um, Dominic Thiem and um, Daniil Medvedev are going to play where some people are saying what is going to be the de facto final. So, yeah. how is how is the tournament going on right now for you guys? What, what do you guys say? Uh, how does the the Djokovic being out of the tournament um, affects the draw? And even the fact that he went out this way, how much does that affect the the tournament? Really, it really gives a chance for the other people left in the draw to believe that they can that they can win a slam, and you know. Yes, Daniil Medvedev and Dominic Team in the bottom half of the draw, you would think are the one of those guys is one of those guys' eyes is lights up and they're suddenly now heavy favorites to hold the trophy. But I do think a guy like Alexander Zverev and you know Denis Shapovalov before he lost his quarterfinal match, they were they they were the two players that were in Novak Djokovic's half, who you would have thought, you know. Otherwise, would have made would have made a pretty deep run, or would have would have liked their chances at at that point. But it's just such a weird complexion, just knowing that he's, you know, defaulted and and out of the tournament. And you're just thinking to yourself, you know, it's just this is the first time really since 2004, Roland Garros, where you know none of the big three are even in the quarterfinals. So you have a match like we saw with Alexander Zverev and Borna Cioric, where you feel like the stakes are so high for both players that there is nerves, there are there is tension visibly out there on the court, and you see that they're playing with that fear. And you know, as much as they might say in their in their press that it doesn't really affect, you know, the way they think about their their match, it has to be in the back of their mind. Um, you know, at some level, I, I would I would say, and we saw that surface with Zverev and Chorich, and Zverev showed that he was able to handle the situation a little bit better and played the big points better and came back, and he's in his second straight semifinal, playing Pablo Carreño Busta, who I'm glad got his moment and was able to uh, was able to show it in the in his quarterfinal match, which we can talk about later if uh, if you would like. But um, essentially, we've got a spectacular semifinal lineup with with the without uh, Stefano Tsitsipas and Novak Djokovic. But essentially, apart from that, um, it's all gone according to plan. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you, Vonch. Um, I'd like to say first, this, um, this Daniil Medvedev-Dominic team semifinal is an absolutely mouthwatering matchup. Um, yeah. I think I said in our preview podcast before the U.S. Open, I was really hoping to see this matchup because I wanted to see um, the higher-ranked players kind of battle it out at the end of the tournament. And so I think um, I'm really excited to see how things unfold because with the exception of Pablo Carreño Busta, this is um, this is essentially a next-gen battle royale. And how, how the Novak Djokovic default impacts this is the winner of Medvedev and team is now probably going to win the tournament. I think it's important to note that Zverev has a 5 and one record against Medvedev. And um, Medvedev team could be an incredibly draining match. So um, right. the eventual finalist from that could have a lot of mileage, might be tired. But I, I, I'm really excited to watch both matches. And I think, I think kind of the enticing matchup of Medvedev team has sort of helped take some of the focus off the Djokovic withdrawal. It's not as if with, um, sorry, the Djokovic default, it's not as if um, Djokovic being out of the tournament sort of takes all the life out of it. I think that we can sort of look to this Medvedev team matchup as something to really look forward to and um, something that could be an epic. And so while I think it's really a shame that Djokovic went out as he did, I think there's still a lot of life left in the men's tournament. Yeah, and what's so unique is that, you know, you're absolutely right in that the team Medvedev is just such a cracking encounter because they've never really played on a neutral setting like this best of five sets in a major. We saw two one-sided matches from them from them last year, but where neither guy was really, you know, was really in their full peak, if you will, at that moment. And now we're seeing two guys that are well-rested. They're going to be fresh and ready to go on uh, on Friday, tomorrow, as we record this. And they're going to, you know, potentially potentially be in a Grand Slam. They're going to be in another Grand Slam final. And they've been here before. They have the experience. And, you know, we're, we're really going to see a matchup that we could see for many, many years going forward, but we've never seen in full yet. So I'm absolutely relishing that prospect. Yeah, I guess uh, it, it, as for me, like one of the things that I was wondering is, was um, in terms of how the shifting of uh, the favorite um, happens in, in, in that situation like Djokovic's. Because he went out in the, not even in the quarterfinals, that was like his his, um, his fourth round. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so th- that's rather early in the tournament, like considering it's Djokovic. So um, all of a sudden you get a lot of players who are, you know, looking to try to post like their best results in the slam and probably thinking, well, Djokovic is the major favorite, so if I can get there at least, like, get myself a chance, I can try to prove myself, or maybe I can beat him, and just really just trying to think ahead in a sense, like, how how can I get there, in a sense. But now, all of a sudden, all of these people are just kind of like, this is this is my chance. This is this is where I can probably take it. It's like, Shapovalov probably thought about it, even though it was Karina Busta's no um, walk in the park, it, he probably thought about it, it as like, man, it's yeah. not Novak Djokovic anymore. Like, I mean, uh, he was probably preparing for that matchup. Like, ever since he saw the draw, he was like, mm-hmm. man, I might have to play Djokovic. And then, like, all of a sudden, you get Karina Busta. He, he might have destabilized him a little bit. He probably got a little bit too excited and got confused in a sense. Like, during the match, it's also a Shapovalov thing to not control his emotions all of that. Well, he's been doing much better, but... um he probably got a little bit destabilized in that sense, like of the opportunity. And it's good to see team and Medvedev uh, holding on and not getting, not letting really the pressure of being favorites kind of like come to them. Maybe we'll see a little bit more of that in their in their match, because it's pretty much the one matchup for them that they would be thinking, man, this is, this is the one match that I, that I can probably lose. Like, I mean, it's, not unrealistically for them to think, man, I might lose this match, mm-hmm. you know, especially for team who's, um, aside from his weird hiccup in uh, Cincinnati, has been doing just great. Um, and now they'd be like, well, they probably are like thinking now this is, this is the one match that I have to get through. And then after that, I might get like even Karina Busta, which is again, um, not to disrespect any player, mm-hmm. but he is not a favorite really to win this tournament. So, um, and just because I said that he's going to win it, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's it's just interesting to see like how 
I wonder if uh, if people like maybe team is thinking in the sense, um, is this my last chance? Mm. Like, no Novak Djokovic, no Roger Federer. Even though Federer is getting older, but like, unbelievably pay- playing well at almost forty years old. I think he's forty now. He. He's thirty nine. Yeah, I'm pretty thirty nine. But 39. but your point yeah, still 30. holds. I mean, yeah, yeah is, exactly. So, team is yeah. twenty seven years old right now. Yeah, and you're yeah, thinking. So, I mean, Bjorn Borg stopped playing when he was twenty six, and you're thinking, you know, you're thinking like if he doesn't win this one. And then all of a sudden, yeah, you, go to, you, won't have a you go to the French and Rafa's back. Diminishing. You go to the French, Rafa's yeah. the favorite there. You go to Australia, Novak is the favorite there. And Roger will be back. And who knows, maybe re- ready to make a big run there. And they're all suddenly mm-hmm. back in action. And then you've got, you've got all these other players you know, that, that aren't playing okay. Maybe Wawrinka, but mainly just Federer and Nadal are going to be back. And you're going to, and then, you know, suddenly next thing you know, he's going to be 28 years old and yeah, he's going to have reached three slam finals. And then, you know the windows closing on him like yeah yeah um, and it's not like the next gen is getting worse <laughs> they're yeah. getting better by the year so that's encouraging for us to see but not probably for team so yeah he's his that's probably his biggest chance of winning a major not that he's not gonna have another one but like if he wants to win one if he wants to make sure that he's going to win one i think there's no better opportunity for dominic team than yeah than this i'm, one right I'm so glad this was brought up I, I think like if team this this is it for a team i think he he really needs to win this major mentally and kind of so he can stay optimistic going forward just like you said Vonch, um rafa will be back for roland garros i think it's fair to say that the last four of that tournament probably won't look like the last four of this tournament with Djokovic in the mix as well and then, like you said, next year, Federer is coming back. So the stakes couldn't be higher for these guys right now. Not only yeah. do they have this huge window of opportunity, but it's totally feasible for that window to close for another year or two after this tournament ends. Um, like you said, Vaughn's team is 27. Um, he could be 28 by the time he gets a chance to win a major that's this good, this big. And so I think that tension is going to saturate all of these matches going forward, both semis and the final. We saw it in Schwarzverev, which wasn't a particularly high-quality match. Both guys wanted to win really badly, but I think I think nerve management is going to be huge for everyone because they know not only that it's a major semifinal, but there's a good chance that it'll be the last major semifinal they see for a little bit or the last major semifinal that... Um, where they'll have such a good chance of winning. I mean, again, no disrespect to Carreño Busta, but if Djokovic or Nadal were still in the draw, I think his chances of beating them in best of five would be, um, I mean, barring a result, like um, barring an unlikely event, like a default, I think his chances of beating them would be under 10% for sure. And he's the underdog against Zverev. If he wins that match, it's not going to be an earth-shaking upset. It'll be an upset, but it won't be a shocking one. And yeah. and so I think, like you like you guys said, this is the best opportunity all four of these players will get for a long time. And so I yeah. think it's just going to be a battle of who can quiet their nerves the most and um, live in the moment. Yeah, I think so. And also, um, yeah, I mean, you're right. It won't be an earth-shattering upset. I think if he, if Karina Busta were somehow. Met, somehow able to get over the line against Zverev, given, you know, and he also made the semifinals three years ago. Yes, he beat, he had mostly qualifiers to deal with in the first week of the slam there. But the fact that he's now backed that up and made two semifinals in his career on a hard court, which by the way, hard court is Karina Busto's best surface, despite what may, what Nick Kyrgios might think on Twitter. Cough, cough, Nick Kyrgios. Yeah, and so, you know, and we see that clearly, like, Four, he's won four ATP titles, and three of them are on hard court. And he's now had two semifinal runs at the at the U.S. Open. So, you know, and definitely hard court is is the best surface from him, and he's had the most success at the at the in the U.S. And I think what really struck me about Shapovalov is that you could just see that while he's making improvements and he's his game is steadily improving, and he's finding, you know, I think the biggest improvement that I've seen with him is physically. I think for him, mm-hmm. being able to play all those long matches that he did, four or five setters, come back from the death against Fritz in the third round and make his first Grand Slam quarterfinal. And while playing so much of doubles with Rohan Bopana as well, mm-hmm. so he spent over 18 hours on the court. And he, and wins he could that, have won that match against Karina Yes, and he wins yeah. that fourth set, six love. And you know what I see 
and and then and then what happens is I think it got to him when he won that fourth fourth set six love. Mm-hmm. I think he thought he had Karenia Busta. Karenia Busta went and took a medical timeout, got his back rubbed, got his back worked on, and he served first in the fifth set. So he was able to keep holding and he kept applying the pressure. And next thing you know, Shapovalov plays a really loose game. And that's all it takes to win the set 6-3 in, in a situation like this. And he's been here before. He's won. He's won. He actually had a worse five-set record going into that match. But it was a strategic move by him to kind of let the fourth set go. And his entire concentration was on the fifth. And I think the more mm-hmm. matches like this that Dennis will play, like he said, he'll play. He'll learn to control his nerves on those on those bigger moments. And it's like, mm-hmm. you're listening to his press conference and Dennis Shapovalov was like, he came back from the dead in the fourth set and it looked like he was absolutely done. And that's where I think Shapovalov still has some room to grow because if you watched five set matches, you know that mm-hmm. it's not over if, uh, if the guy wins is down two sets to one and he wins the fourth set like that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I think something else that might've gone through Shapo's head when he won the fourth set is I'm in my first major quarterfinal. I'm six games away from a major semifinal. Yeah. And like you said, all it takes is one loose service game. The margins are always small, but they exactly. they become minuscule in a fifth set. And when you're playing someone who's experienced like Carreño Busta, you just cannot afford to throw in a loose service game like that. And I think this loss will be devastating to uh, Shapovalov. Um, he, I think his chances of beating Zverev weren't massive, but I think they were there, absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. I, I think he has one, the explosive. Yeah. He has the explosiveness. He's won two matches against Zverev. Yeah. Um, I feel like if anything, his chances yeah. of beating Zverev would be a little higher than yeah. Karina. Karina yeah. Just because yeah. of a matchup. It's mm-hmm. the matchup yeah. thing, right? And yeah, and so I think this is a devastating loss for Shapo, but I do think he will learn from it. Yeah. I think uh, the lesson is evident, and uh, this obviously almost obviously won't be his last major quarterfinal. Yeah. So I think he'll oh, yeah. go into his next one better equipped. Yeah. And to be fair, I think even though it's devastating now because he got pretty close to do it, I think um, time will just tell him that, hey, it wasn't that bad. Like it was his first quarterfinal playing against a guy who's basically a veteran in the game, has been in another semifinal in the same tournament, you know, uh, just kind of got through Djokovic, even though he was a default. He, he was playing fantastic, as you, yeah. as you mentioned earlier, against Djokovic. So he was a guy with confidence, with experience, with the, with the, um, how do you call this, uh, fitness. You know, he had everything. So looking, if Trapo looks back to this match, he should not be frustrated. Yeah, I mean, and, if, and he was if, if someone should be frustrated in this tournament, should be Tsitsipas. But let's mm-hmm. let, let's move this to another yeah. <laughs> to another episode. I mean, or I think I think he Karina Booster deserves a lot of credit because I you know especially the two tie breaks that he played I thought were mm. phenomenal. He executed perfectly. He he found the right balance. He went for he went for off- offensive shots and he served aces in those tie breaks. And he some of mm-hmm. the passing shots that he was able to hit and kind of counterattack Shapovalov's relentless aggression was very impressive and he was very very solid and you know didn't hit a lot of winners but didn't make a lot of errors and at the end of the day it's all about it's a game of inches and who can sustain their level for the longest time in a best of five set five set match but Mm -hmm. absolutely i mean shapovalov will learn from this he'll grow he's already taking he's taken baby steps throughout his throughout his career and this is one of those uh steps you know on the road to you know hopefully many more second weeks and in majors Mm -hmm. so uh there was something that um keeps coming up and i i I just want to like maybe waste a little some like five minutes on that (laughs) one it's a asterisks Uh, like let's let's talk about this like for two for two minutes i'm rolling my eyes already (laughs) i know i I know it because like Vansh refused to do a full podcast on this, which I am. I wish I'm thankful for because it would be the worst. So, uh, um, what do you guys? What do you guys think? Like uh, people are just saying, like, oh yeah, if if team wins, there's no asterisk. If uh-huh. Karina Busta wins, there's an asterisk. And this this is basically what bothers me. Yeah. Like, should, shouldn't we just put this to death and say Medvedev and team are there? It's very was playing fantastic mm-hmm. in his second um, straight Slam Slam semifinal. Um, Karina Busta has been there before. Why? Why are people still talking about asterisks? Yeah. Like, I think it's so pointless. I mean, I, I think you're right. I think, like, if you look at the last four right now, um, like, this isn't going to have an asterisk. I mean, Carino Boost uh, and Zverev are going to have to go through each other, and then one of Medvedev or team, who are both top five players. Carino Boost might have to beat Zverev and Medvedev or team. Uh, Zverev is, I think, ranked fifth or sixth right now, maybe seventh. Um, but anyway, yeah. 
Like, all of these game. players have been playing very well. Um, and I think to say if team wins, there won't be an asterisk is completely ridiculous because like, he might face lesser competition or the same competition as someone else. And so I think all these players have played very well and gone through tough opponents to get where they are. And they're going to have to do that again for two more matches, six sets to get the title. So no asterisk for me. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's absolutely the same for me. I mean, I mean, why should there be an asterisk? You got a guy who's been in the semifinals of a major before. They all have. Zverev mm-hmm. just reached the semifinals of the Australian Open. He was points away from getting to the final. He's won three Masters titles. He's beaten the big three in big finals and big matches. Zverev, team, team is the team is the absolute um, is the exact guy that a big three member does not want to face. He's done. He's he's very successful in all three of their head-to-heads, relatively speaking, and he's absolutely primed for this occasion. You've got Medvedev, who nearly won the U.S. Open last year, and so I don't see why people need to keep hammering that point because I I just think if it was a random semifinal lineup, you know, you don't just get here in the middle of a pandemic by a, by a fluke. That being said. What it did take for this to happen is, is still pretty remarkable. It still took <laughs> Rafael Nadal to opt not to play, Federer to get knee surgery, Djokovic to get a default, and a global mm-hmm. pandemic. But yeah. here we are. Let's enjoy this moment. You know, We're... yeah, yeah. Something I want to make note of really quickly is um, people talk about the changing of the guard, the passing of the torch, and based on those things you said there, Vonj, I think the torch has not been passed. It has no, been dropped uh, temporarily because. We know the yeah. victory will be back, but I think um, we can put that aside, enjoy what's going on right now, hopefully see some great tennis in these semifinals and eventual final, and um, see players really establish themselves. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who do we think is winning the semifinals? Oh, and... oh yes. Uh, I mean, I, it's it's still tough because like, if both... Yeah, it's not. It's not like uh, both of the same. One of the semifinals has a big player, and the other one has. You know, it's they're both tough finals to call. Like mm-hmm. honestly, to me, I if I am to say, I think um, Zverev edges Karina Busta by a little bit. I think it's, mm-hmm. he's winning in, t- in tight four sets. Okay. Um, maybe one of them is going to be a little bit more straightforward, like um, like the one that he played with uh, Borna Chorich and Medvedev and team. It's so tough, but I. I'm. I think I'm gonna edge team because I feel like if team starts coming to the net and like trying to actually be aggressive and um, finishing off points, I think he has game to um, to push through and break through uh, Zverev's uh, defenses. Or Medvedev's, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm saying uh, Zverev um, team final. I think um, I I agree with you on the Zverev Karenio Busta match. I think. Um... I think Zverev's game is going to be too much. I think if he's serving well, I think it could be straight sets. But I'm going to take Zverev in four sets in that semifinal. And Medvedev's team is just so hard to call because not only have they both been in great form this tournament, but their head-to-head offers little to no evidence. Um, I think they've both won a lopsided match where the other one was maybe tired or sick. Um, Can't really remember. But uh, Throw that aside. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to go with Medvedev in five sets, which hmm. seems at first ridiculous because Medvedev has never won a five-set match. But I think it's going to be close because they're both in great form. I think Medvedev is going to make team hit a lot of backhands. And teams, while team's backhand can be a beautiful weapon and just a really, really effective one, it's not really a rally shot. And so I think Medvedev is going to make team slice a lot. I think he's going to make him hit more backhands than forehands. And so I think team... Team's forehand is going to need to be hitting the lines if he wants to break through Medvedev's defenses. Uh, both guys, although it must also be said that Team is a great defender as well. And so that's part of what makes this such a great matchup. Both guys are also huge servers, but I, I think I think based on form, Medvedev edges Team 6-4 on the fifth. Hmm. Yeah, for me, um, with Sparov, I think the issue is always going to be that second serve. Mm. and um, We'll see how it holds up for the rest of the tournament. But I tend to think that, you know, I'm a big fan of the two first serves, especially when you've got the kind of toss and the kind of uh, erratic nature that he has as he comes down and decelerates on the ball. Mm -hmm. I think he's better off 
at times going for two big serves and kind of avoiding that whole kind of avoiding that to bleed into the rest of his game. But I think if he, you know, if he can sustain that serving for a long time and kind of hit through uh, and start out, kind of hit through his forehand and start out with a more aggressive intent than he did in the Borna Chorich match and step up and rise to the, to the occasion against a great player who's going to make him play a lot of balls, but a guy that Zverev can get rhythm against mm-hmm. and can have success attacking to the backhand. So I think it's mm-hmm. going to be three or four sets, and it all depends on how well Zverev is serving, in my opinion. So I pick yeah, Zverev to get through and win that match. And in the second semifinal, it's it's so interesting because, like you said, it's it's almost a fifty-fifty toss-up, pick'em, roll the dice kind of a mm-hmm. kind of a match because we have yet to see these two play in a neutral setting where they're both physically fit and fresh and ready to ready to play. And I and I just think it's going to be a I just don't see how this match doesn't have five sets written all over it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Just with the sheer intensity that these both these guys bring, Medvedev with his relentless defending, his bomb serve, which can get him out of trouble in big moments, that awkward backhand that's going to make team hit so many slices and so many off-pace shots because, you know, to have success against Medvedev, you have to keep giving him different looks. You cannot beat him toe-to-toe from the back of the baseline and side-to-side baseline exchanges because he will find a way to neutralize every single shot that you hit. And we've seen him very capable of changing strategies mid-match and coming up, whether it be two first serves, whether it be coming in and serving and volleying, even though that's not something that he's naturally good at, but it's something that he's willing to go to. We've seen how he can be cramping and just come out just start belting the ball suddenly on his forehand. There are so many things that make him intriguing and such an unpredictable player. And for team, it's going to be about getting, maintaining that aggression and finding that balance and pulling the trigger down the line with his backhand whenever he can and just kind of overpowering Medvedev and being able to hit through him. And I think he's one of the guys that can do that on the, in these conditions over the course of three out of five sets. Now it's just going to be who can manage their nerves better and who can handle that that pressure of finishing, closing out the other guy, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I think team's experience and his firepower, and by the way, I'm a little bit worried about Medvedev's the sh- uh, shoulder injury that he had mm-hmm. at the end of the Rublev match. Although I think, I mean, if you look at last year i mean he was basically a dead man walking he had tape all over his body and he was just like a zombie just you know that that ends up almost outlasting the doll right and so you're just thinking like if you just get some treatment or like some medications i mean it's almost frees him up in a way that he can just (laughs) go for it even more so it's just it's so hard to pick like you know which bedvedev will we really really see i think we will definitely see dips in the match there's no Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think another interesting point of this matchup as well is that both of them have made um, Grand Slam finals, so they're not unfamiliar with that feeling. Mm -hmm. So they will not be fighting for their first final. So I think this is going to make this uh, quite quite an interesting match too, because it's it's going to be two. Obviously, team is is more experienced, but it's not like Medvedev is like that much. yeah. It's not that far behind in that race, I think. Oh, so absolutely not. I think it's going to be an interesting just an interesting match. And I really think that um the pressure even of having Djokovic out of the draw is not even gonna come to them. I think when they come into the match, it's just gonna be just them too, and that's it. Like I feel like they're just gonna manage their their um emotions better so, than I think we can we expect them to. Yeah, um, I mean, and we give them credit for. Absolutely great points, Andre. But I think, you know, another thing is that I was watching team play against Demonor. And it was just, mm-hmm. I tell you what, it was just man versus boy for most of the match. It was a massacre. <laughs> it was like watching a, a heavyweight boxer against a lightweight like junior champion. <laughs> so, and just seeing the clarity of his, just seeing the clarity and confidence that he had before the match, just even in, even in his on-court interviews, I just think he's primed for this moment. I think he's, He's been in three slam finals before. I mean, if he doesn't, if he loses to the final and loses in this, I guess, semifinal where he's going to be the favorite in the final, I mean, this will now be the fourth time and it's just going to keep on eating him alive. I think 
it's this is the moment for Dominic team. So I'm predicting that he wins the fifth set, seven five. Mm. I think it's we're gonna see a yeah. like a seven five in the fifth kind of match. It's gonna be it's gonna come down to the absolute wire. It's gonna be four yeah. and a half hours. Watch I think it, I think dude, I would, watch I think it be like... watch it be like two two and two. Oh no! <laughs> I, I, I really hope you're not jinxing this. <laughs> oh yeah. But it, as the as the tennis and bagels podcast. We like our tenants. We Triple like our bagels. Bagel. We got to We got to Yeah, it's a bagels. It's gonna be. There's gonna be a bagel at least in one of those matches. Just write my words. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's my pick. Is seven five in, in in the fifth. And I have Dominic Team winning the title over Alexander Zverev in a similar kind of match to what we saw in Australia. Yeah, I think that would be a worthy end to yeah. the tournament. Sorry. I think that would be a worthy end to the men's tournament. I think that'd be yeah. a good final. Um, so semi-final you described sounds great. Not the two-two and two, but the seven-five in the fifth. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, let's hope for a match like that. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the the final question that I wanted to ask, like, it, it's a little bit of a funny thing, as a <laughs> as I mentioned to you prior to the recording yeah. started. Um, I think there's a, a lot of fandom thing that it's it kind of like comes completely off of the court and just right into the tweet tennis Twitter mm. realm here. Mm-hmm. Novak Djokovic uh, defaulting. Yeah. Is it better, worse, or neutral in comparison to uh, 40-15? Oh. oh. So different situations. I don't think you can compare the two. But as in for fans, uh, suppose uh-huh. a, a, another guy comes in like and be like, hey, 40-15, and you'd be like, <laughs> Hey, default so on the U.S. The, Open. That there's was the yours. petty debate. They just go back and forth yeah, with that. Um, exactly. I, mean, no. I, I agree with Vonch. I do think it's tough to compare. I think um, 40-15 might have the advantage because Federer was on the other side of the court in that, and he's also a participant in the GOAT debate. Can't say the same for Corinne Busta, but I, I prefer not to engage in those kinds of debates myself, so um, it's tough to <laughs> say. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish I had an answer for you. But... <laughs> but uh, I'll be I'll be honest. The one thing that I hope that comes out of it is that this debate just finishes because none of them has a comeback that is worthy. So just kind of like yeah, we'll let tennis Twitter they're... debate that. Yeah, we're yeah. we're even now type of thing. I just hope this happens and then the, the debates or it, the debate ends and that's it. We're done. That would be nice. And then that was the best it, one because it, it's it doesn't not have fun a bad to see. Uh, <laughs> At this point, yeah. if you're still debating those things, you're, you're just wasting your time. Mm-hmm. yeah it's like i even watching tennis at this point yeah i think uh, d- during lockdown i've covered with other people every facet of the goat debate at some point and i feel like i don't know anything more than i did when i started so nobody <laughs> does i feel like i feel like i know less yeah me too yeah i know i know how you feel yeah by the way the the author of this tweet that i've mentioned is um pusher t7 oh. he posted he posted a uh a pool which you finished um I, I think i think it's not done yet you can still go and vote it uh it's um, vote. yeah so it's it's currently 51 percent to 49 percent. the winner right now is roger federer is 40 that's, that's how things are going and i think it's hilarious i think if if i'm one to say if this debate goes on i will just try to see the fun of it like every time mm-hmm. honestly today was the best time to make a twitter poll so there's no tennis until basically now mm-hmm. yeah it's like what are we gonna do like we've been having so much ten. it's like it's like we had no tennis for four for four months and it was like oh we have so much tennis like this past few weeks what are you gonna do this whole day without any tennis mm-hmm. going on let's make a let's make a let's make a funny pool yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean it, it really is nice to have tennis back i think um the u.s open and the usta have misstepped a little bit with the COVID 19 guidelines but in, just in terms of the tennis i think it's almost like it never left. Um, tennis, like in the forehands and backhands, is definitely back, and it, it's just great. Yeah, and I mean the players are the the way the tournament is held up. I'm I'm really actually very impressed. If we take aside the Benoit pair eleven, <laughs> pair whatever 11. situation, I mean that yeah. situation is now so overshadowed by something actually tennis related. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I think that's a step up. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you guys. 
don't mind, uh, let's start wrapping up because yeah. I'm, I, I still think want we should to watch the up. matches. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think I want to yeah. I want to watch a little bit of this Osaka Brady as well. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're missing Naomi Osaka and uh, yeah, we're missing yeah, 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 we're yeah, missing indeed, the yeah. we're missing literally the girl that we picked to win in the beginning of the the, the tournament match. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we are lost here. The sacrifices so, we've made to make this podcast. <laughs> I know the lengths we go to to fulfill our listeners. Yes. That's all for you, listeners. So um, because we're doing that, just go ahead and, and return the favor by not only listening, but rating us on Apple Podcasts, uh, following us and sharing it with all of your tennis friends and follow us everywhere on Instagram and um, Facebook and on Twitter as well. Um, tennis and Bagels pretty much everywhere. You can just type now and you can find me. And Vansh also has his own private, um, not private, but like his own his own Twitter, let's say this way, personal Twitter. Yep. That's the word I was looking for, which is at VanshV2K. And Owen is at Tennis Nation. And he writes a blog called The Racket. The, the racket. And it's Racket with, spelled with a CK. Um, and he writes analysis and articles on the world of tennis. It's almost like me, but like aside the recreational part, just the professional one. And yeah, uh, go follow all those guys and give them your support as well um yeah and that's it uh enjoy tennis enjoy the us open and let's keep enjoying tennis um until forever i guess <laughs> and that's it thank you also for listening thank you so much owen for being here thanks for having me i had a great time as always uh you've got a great podcast uh really fun <laughs> to be a part of it for a little bit sweet thank you so yeah. much owen and thanks Vansh again for being here absolutely my pleasure andre it was great to have owen back and we can kind of recap things and reassess where we all stand in, in terms of tennis. So fantastic. Yeah. All right. And that's it. That's our wrap. And I'll see you guys next week when the open is over and yeah, let's all enjoy the rest of the tournament. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.